I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Well, my next guest has a book that is so appropriate right now, especially if you're in a funk, personal, professional. She's written this book called The Well-Gardened Mind, The Restorative Power of Nature. Joining me is Dr. Sue Stewart-Smith. Welcome, Sue. Very pleased to be with you today, Janine. Would you like to tell everybody where you're calling in from? I'm calling in from uh, the county of Hertfordshire in England, which is about 20 miles north. Well, the part of Hertfordshire we're in is 20 miles north of London. Wonderful. And how are things there with COVID and how are people handling it? Well, we're going, we're going through a, a sort of strange, uh, a strange sort of loosening of lockdown phase. Uh, you know, an attempt to return to normal, um, but it's not normal because the you know people right. are wearing masks. Uh, lots of aspects of life are not functioning as they were before. People are still working from home largely, um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of life is still put on hold. But we're we're sort of cautiously emerging from it. So that's good. so you know that that in itself it's good, but it's also anxiety provoking, isn't it? Definitely. Which brings me to your book, because as I shared with you, I've been getting out in my garden more than ever. There was a time when I didn't do anything. And I wanted to touch on the fact that people, even if you don't have a garden, but you know, you have a sunny window, what they could do to start small. But so before we get into the book, uh, tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, so yes, I'm a psychiatrist and psychotherapist. And I worked in the NHS uh, for nearly 30 years, uh, for 13 of them as a consultant psychiatrist running a, a district psychotherapy service. And um, I'm married to uh, a garden designer called Tom Stewart-Smith. And we married in our mid-twenties when he was just setting out on his career. And I was actually still a medical student. Uh, and since then, he's become a celebrated garden designer. So we've had an amazing journey together. And part of that journey has been creating a garden around the home that we moved into shortly after we married. So we now, we now live surrounded by a garden that's been about 30 years in the, in the making uh, and which we've sort of created bit by bit because our, our house is a barn, a traditional wooden barn, and it's um, located in the middle of what was uh, an arable field. So... So it was farmland before we before we took it over. Sounds beautiful. It is a very beautiful setting. We're very lucky. We're on a hill and we have a lovely view. And it's so incredible how you blended both of your career paths, your interests, and then your landscape as a reflection of all the years you'd spent together. Yes, that's true. And I think... Um, I, th I think, you know, when I, when I got married, actually, I was not a gardener. You know, I, you know Tom was already steeped in gardening and, and loved it and was a knowledgeable plantsman. So I was actually a bit sceptical about gardening at that <laughs> stage, I have to confess. I, um, you know, I, I did see it a bit like outdoor housework, uh, except that it was nicer to be outdoors than indoors. Yeah. So it took me quite a while to, and particularly since our gardening started in what was a sort of, uh, windswept, muddy, stony field um, to, 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 to really see the point of it. Um, although I, you know, I always was very keen on placemaking and, and uh, you know, creating something here. But it, 
to be honest, it was only when I started um, gardening myself in a, a very small patch that we, we sort of carved out for me that was a herb garden. And that was, that was about five years after we um, came to live here. And that was when I began to sort of understand, really understand what gardening is all about, you know, what, what, what it means to grow something yourself and then, and then cook it and eat it. Isn't that incredible to think here you were in your practice as a doctor and you hadn't considered this very powerful, you know, activity? No, I think that's right. And I, and in a way it's sort of, I think, you know, it's not, horticulture is not part of mainstream medicine. So you don't learn about it at med school for starters. Um, so, so, and I think, you know, I think the zeitgeist has changed, but certainly when I was first practicing, it was really seen as something very peripheral and, and perhaps just something that would distract people rather than really, really benefit them properly. Um, and, and we now know that it, it has all sorts of direct effects on our nervous system, on our immune system. Uh, so, so the science has is, is been catching up over the last few decades. Um, and there's now quite a body of research, quite a bit of which I include in the book. I, it really um, hit home for me because I have seen a shift in how I spend my time away from the computer and I'm spending more time outside planting things, moving things around. And I, there are so many uh, senses that are tapped into, you know, my sense of smell and my sense of touch and, and putting my hands in the dirt. And it's, it's an incredible experience. Could you touch on that a little bit? Yes, I actually think it's really come to the fore during the pandemic because, you know, our lives have been getting um, more and more screen based for some time. Uh, but, but in this crisis, with the rise of home working, uh, you know, it's, it's become our main mode of uh, interaction with, with the world, with, with our relatives, with our, um, our work colleagues. So um, I, I've certainly found increased benefit from, from getting outside in the garden during this time. Now, I gather it's now called Zoom fatigue. Yes. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, gardening we know. Um, or just being in nature, actually. It doesn't have to be gardening. It may be walking in a park. Um, but it rests, it rests our sort of prefrontal cortex, which, which has to be very active when we're doing very task-focused things. And, you know, relating to someone on a screen is not a natural thing for us to do. Right. So it's actually quite hard work for the brain because we're having to assemble, um, assemble sort of various cues without quite a bit of sensory input that we would otherwise get. So I think being out in nature, as you say, we get, we get the whole range of sense impressions and that really rebalances us. You know, it, it, right. it, it kind of, it, and it's one of the reasons why we then feel reinvigorated and studies, studies have shown, you know, people's concentration is boosted after a spell in nature, their creativity or their creative thinking can be boosted. Uh, and and their sort of attention, their focus is is um, is increased. And I don't know about you, but the memories perhaps you had as a child being outside, sometimes certain smells, certain sensations can trigger those positive memories. Yes, I think I think you know there's so much involved in in being in a garden or creating a garden. 
that is is a kind of about a recreation a recreation of experience um so and that may be uh, you know a person as you say a kind of almost like a personal little bit of paradise or moment that we've experienced in the past as well i think as our kind of you know our, our sort of collective sort of cultural ideas about paradise and um you know that that you creating a space where we can have so many of the kind of more restorative and healing aspects of nature all around us. And plus being in a pandemic and having to stay home so much, it really requires us to be creative and think differently about what happiness means and where we can find those moments of peace. And it might be just lying down in the grass, looking up at the sky. I, I agree. And I think, you know, it's something that, you know, when I, obviously when I wrote the book, I, you know, none of us saw this coming, no. but it's something actually that I was, I, I very much write about is the importance, you know, if, if you are a gardener, you know, a keen gardener, actually it can be quite easy not to take those kind of moments because you're always, um, you know, looking for jobs in the garden, you're doing things, you're kind of, you're, you're, you know, you're seeking out the weeds, you're kind of looking for trouble, as it were, things that need amending, um, trying to perfect this place. So I think, I think, yeah, it's important to make sure that you're still getting that level of, of real connection and um, a kind of mindful state, a more, more relaxed state of, of just being, being in nature, being with nature. Right. And don't just go out there and work and work and work. Enjoy it enjoy it too yes i mean the work the work is very important as well i think mm -hmm. you know increasingly i think we're understanding that um you know our our sort of rather gadget driven lives um and you know sort of swiping screens things like that that, that we're not using our hands as much and um one of the neuroscientists i i write about in the book uh, professor kelly lambert who's at the university of richmond she's she's done a lot of research on this and you know, our, the brain, uh, a, lot of, a lot of area in the brain is devoted to the hands. So when you use your hands, you're getting a lot of, a lot of brain stimulation. And on top of that, you get a different kind of satisfaction from seeing something that you've actually made or created or, or helped shape yourself. You know, it gives you a kind of a tangible sense that you can shape something in your world or you can control part of your life. And and I think for us in this time when so much of life is, is uncertain, um, these, these very simple things are very grounding. They're very important. Can you touch on your chapter, Bringing Nature to the City? Yes, I think, and I think this is something we, you know, we, all, we, we do need as a, as, a, as a society really to be, or, or collect globally to be attending to much more is, is the lack of nature that is... Uh, is around in some parts of usually the most um, socio-economically deprived parts of cities um, because you know this what's what what's what i think everyone's become more aware of is is what a what a psychological lifeline for instance having a garden or simply having a balcony can be where you can grow some pots so i think I think we can't underestimate the importance of that. And, and actually for me, researching that and researching some of the science of it, I was very surprised as a psychiatrist to find how, um, how large some of the effects are but when, when green space is introduced into 
uh, rundown parts of a, of a city that, that don't have them. So I'll, I'll give one example, which is a study that um, looked at 34 different European cities. It was a large population-based study, and it looked at all sorts of ways of um, improving all different kinds of amenities that might be introduced. And the only one that made a significant impact on people's mental health was green space. And the authors then calculated that, that having access to green space could reduce the, uh, the, the, the mental health uh, issues that are associated with, with lower socioeconomic kind of status, as it were, by, about, by as much as 40%. Wow which is, is a very large figure. The yes. researchers themselves were really surprised by that. And that, actually, it's, sort of, it's in keeping with that kind of level of effect is in keeping with some other studies that I quote in the book, where greening of vacant lots in Philadelphia was found to lead to a 40% decrease in feelings of stress and depression for people living nearby. What was it like putting this book together, by the way? I mean, the amount of information and the research involved is tremendous. Yes, it was quite a journey. I actually started it about five years ago, and, um, and I loved doing the research. It was fascinating. And I also traveled quite a bit. I visited projects around the world, pretty much, you know, different, different areas where interesting projects were going on and interviewed people. Uh, and some of them appear appear in the book. Are there some stories that stand out for you, people that you've met that you'd like to highlight from the book? Well, do you know what? I mean, I, there there are a number of stories, and I think they're all they're all important in their own own way. Um, but there there's one which um, which actually appears at the end of the chapter on flowers. Um, oh, I saw that. Uh, it, it was in uh, Italy and a, a very remarkable project uh, for the treatment of addiction called San Patrignano. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a, um, a residential project. People stay for at least two years and they learn a new skill. And, and gardening is one of them, one of the skills that they offer. And the woman I interviewed there... Um, who, who, who really stood out in my mind and who I described in the book uh, is, was someone who, who didn't really take to horticulture at the beginning at all. And she was also very resistant to the whole treatment. She described feeling actually really full of, full of anger, full of toxic feelings. Really? Actually t taken with a kind of hatred of life, actually. She'd oh. had a very, very difficult start in life. She'd sure. experienced a lot of trauma. She had reasons not to trust people. Um, so she'd spent the first year in the garden really not, not enjoying what she was doing. And things changed for her when she, she spotted um, some cacti plants that were, were rather languishing. Somebody had sort of left them behind, who'd moved on. And, uh, and she decided she was gonna rescue them and look after them. And, and that, then seeing these, these, these sort of spiky plants, uh, uh, you know, flourish again and flower actually, um, was a turning point for her. And she, you know, that, that, that was the moment when she began to be able to use 
all the other aspects of the therapeutic community. Because I think, I think it's really important to stress that, you know, in many of these projects that I, I, I describe, gardening is only part of what they're doing. But I think, I think working with plants actually opens people's minds to change, you know, and then they can use some of the human interactions that are going on as well. I think back to uh, when I was a teenager, and at first I would think of gardening as some boring activity for older people. But I know it was a wonderful thing to go out there and look at the tomatoes growing. My, my stepmother is an incredible gardener. And, and the cucumbers and, and the rhubarb and all these wonderful things she grew in Connecticut. Are there ways you would suggest children can get involved in gardening? I, I think gardening for children is really important in the world that we live in because generally um, everyone's become quite disconnected from nature unless unless they have a garden unless unless they are you know getting out regularly into nature just generally and, and the younger generation are growing up more disconnected than any other generation before them so um, I'm really keen on programs that introduce gardening into schools and there are lots of great programs like that um in fact my husband and i tom have been working with uh, two of our local schools and we're we're just at the beginning of getting a community gardening program going here in an orchard very near where we live uh, and and uh and the aim of that will be largely about getting young people involved um so that they can begin to understand what what connecting with nature means and also just you know when when you begin to grow things you really understand how life is generated and sustained um yes. you know otherwise otherwise everything is manufactured for right. you and for children that don't necessarily have an open mind to eating certain things when they grow them they end up sometimes trying them and liking them and then they incorporate that into you know what i, I think i'd like to cook I think I'd like to use Yes, those absolutely. Yes, yeah. I have to say all the projects, all the projects I attend, uh, I visited were, that was such an important part of it, was the sharing of the produce and the pleasure and um, uh, experimenting with, with different foods, trying them out, uh, but also just sitting down collectively and, you know, let's say sharing a pumpkin soup uh, that everybody had helped grow. Uh, and that's a very, it's a very special experience, really. That's beautiful. It's, it's such a simple thing. And it's actually, you know, it's, you know, if we go back, you know, back to sort of, I was thinking about our hunter-gatherer heritage and, and, you know, that actually that's, that sharing of food is such an important part of it, you know, collecting and gathering food. And some hunter-gatherers cultivated their own food as well, at least some of it. But, you know, sitting around the campfire and sharing, sharing food is, um, is a uniquely bonding thing to do. What are some key things you would like readers to take away from this book? I mean, you have a tremendous amount of information. It's wonderful. But are there specific things that stand out to you? I think, I think, I think the main thing I would like people to take away is thinking about how to integrate it into their lives. And I'd like, I'd hope to think at some point, some, somebody at a sort of policy-making level might, might come across it, might read it, because I think, I think it is something we need to be thinking about at a policy level as well, with regard to access to gardening projects and also you know, introducing green spaces 
into parts of the cities that are completely deprived of them. I think that's a wonderful suggestion, especially now because at first people were afraid to go outside. Now I'm seeing more people outside and walking, but to have community gardens and get people out all ages doing these things, you're communicating, you're at a safe distance, you're interacting with people you've never met before. It's a wonderful thing. It's a, Community gardens uh, are a very good way of um, increasing levels of integration in communities. A number of, number of studies have shown that because, because, uh, because people, they have a shared task, but they can also work separately. Um, you know, even before the pandemic, as it were, people could come together, but sort of have have a have a communal purpose but also safe distance from each other yes and 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 so this this um so it 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 connects people through 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 shared pleasures as well as as well as the sort of sharing of produce and and i and can do an awful lot to reduce levels of loneliness and isolation it's really tremendous for your mental physical and emotional well-being Yes, and I think you know we haven't talked much about the physical aspects of it, but actually gardening gardening is is a very good good form of gentle exercise uh, for all of us at any stage of life. Absolutely. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, I've got a website uh, which is suestuartsmith.com. Um, oh, it might be suestuartsmith.co.uk. Help! I want to check that. Anyway, um, I'll I, put it up on my show. I'll, I'll, I'll put, put it, it up on your show blog. Yes, I will make sure it's correct. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, and I, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Sue Stuart Smith. And your book again is The Well-Gardened Mind, The Restorative Power of Nature. Dr. Sue Stuart Smith, yes. thank you so much for calling into the show. Yes, it's probably worth adding that the, the book is available as an audio book as well, read by me. Oh, wonderful. You have a beautiful voice. That I oh, thank you. Thing. So yeah, so it is. It's available on all the main platforms, um, uh, both as ebook and hardback and audio. Fantastic! And congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs>